Welcome to the Inclusive Education Project. I'm Vicki Brett. I'm Amanda Salohi. We're two civil rights lawyers on a mission to change the conversation about education, civil rights, and modern activism. Each week, we're going to explore new topics which are going to educate and empower others and give them a platform to enact change in education and level the playing field. Welcome back, friends. We are in it. The new year, 2024. We are trying our best to really have a clear kind of direction to kind of push you guys in. I I know it's the beginning of the year and it's really technically second semester. So we're really trying to get focused in on episodes and the people that we have on in the month of January to kind of get you psyched up because I feel like fall semester, it was like super long for some cases and then super short for others. I don't know if you felt the same way, Amanda. Yeah, I mean, it's strange because like, I feel like we used to be in a world where almost everyone ended the semester before winter break. And so the minute we got back from winter break, we were starting fresh. But Mm -hmm. like nowadays, so many more schools are starting later that you come back from winter breaks and they haven't even had final or like we haven't started the new semester. So we're in this weird realm, whether you're like, okay, you are starting fresh the minute we get back from winter break or no, we are, we still have a couple more weeks, which, you know, what, whichever realm you're in, I think it's like now is the time to think about like, not always necessarily like a fresh start, but like think back on the first semester of the school year. What can we do differently? What worked? What didn't? That's This is kind of like that natural kind of break. So yeah. yeah. And I think with today's episode, common misconceptions in special education and the use of behavioral tools, I know Amanda and I we have cases individually <laughs> and that we've seen over the years that we're really excited to get into with Haley. Haley, thank you so much for coming on to our podcast. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. So can you give a brief kind of background of yourself to our listeners? Yeah, definitely. So my current position right now is a behaviorist for a public school district, but my history is definitely within early childhood education. I worked within general education as well as special education, and I recently started teaching special ed. But my focus now back in my district is definitely within behavior analysis. And so what kind of you drew you to the behavioral analysis of bed? So I worked for my district post-COVID. And I was unsure about what I wanted to do in terms of endgame, where I wanted to end up. And so we have an awesome BCBA that works in our district. And um, she was kind of scoping me out for a little bit. And she decided that I should be a part of her team. And so her team was just her and another behaviorist. And they were covering the whole school district. So all primary, all secondary. And so they needed somebody. And so they took me on really quickly. And they trained me in such a short amount of time, just about you know, the things that they did within the district, because it looks so different depending on the district. And so they kind of trained me about, you know, the things that they do. And so it was very quick. And I've been in this position for for some time now. And I love it. I really do. And I took a break from it to teach. So I taught last school year. And, and now I'm back this school year. And so it's been really nice to be back. I think that it's important. I think when you only have one BCBA for an entire school district, especially if it's a, you know, K through 12 district, Mm -hmm. that's a lot. We see that a lot where, okay, well, we can't even get them to the IEP meeting because there's just too many cases. So I think that's important if they recognize, okay, we need more help. So we're going to, you know, be grabbing these teachers and training them (laughs) to kind of support. So 
how does that look for your role in terms of supporting like students? Are you kind of like the middleman between kind of the IEP teams and the BCBA? Yeah. So it's unique because it just so happened that I was going to teach SPED, but typically the people that she picks or that she had picked in the past were paraeducators that she just had trained specifically to the role. But anyways, going back to my role, my role now includes observing and assisting in the creation of behavior plans with the BCBA. And then I implement those behavior plans by training the paraeducators in the classroom. And then I pop in and I you know, ensure fidelity. We also provide trainings for our staff members and then we spend a lot of time inside of our classrooms helping, you know, staff members feel empowered to follow the behavior plans and to just ensure that they're being followed. Yeah, I'm sure we have a few listeners that are just thinking about this because we get this question all the time about yep. the training, like what it looks like, because we'll get a parent or a school team is saying, OK, we're going to add on a behavior aid and they're going to be trained on the behavior plan. And the question the parents always ask is, what does this training look like? What does it entail? So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so it looks different every single time. So in the past, we've taken all of the paraeducators out of the classroom. And then we go over some foundations of behavior, some really basic concepts that may be applicable to the student in the classroom. And then we emphasize the behavior intervention plan. really specific things. And something really cool in our district that we do is we do BIPs at a glance. So it takes that really lengthy behavior intervention plan and we pull out the really important parts. And then we go over that with the staff and they are allowed to ask questions and it's the conversation. And I feel like that making time for that really helps in the long run because they're not having to second guess or they're not having to question about what the implementation looks like. And sometimes I'll even go in and sit with a child and I'll have them watch and see what it looks like, just modeling everything. One of the things that I appreciate about at the glance is so that the teacher can have kind of like working knowledge, right? In that moment. I also think it's important for the parents or, you know, eventually the child to be able to kind of explain the the IEP in its entirety, right? Like why the child is is needing this. And I'm so happy that you talked about the fidelity of the data because the data can only tell us so much right? Right. Um, The moment I feel like when you are understanding that behavior is a form of communication, you know, and it it is trying to tell you something or what happened right before the behavior, I I feel like that's often a a missing component. What is something that you, you know, tell your teachers or like, as part of your job? Are you there like, as part of the team to kind of explain? Or are you really just like implementing the behavioral plan as best as possible? Are you able to actually consult with the teachers and and have that kind of open dialogue? Can you kind of explain your role a bit more? Yeah, so I definitely communicate with teachers very often. I feel as though that is primarily what I'm doing throughout the day. Okay. Um, because they are the instructor of the classroom, essentially. And, and I know what it's like to be there inside the classroom and making sure, you know, we're, we're getting to our schedules and things. And so it's often the paraeducators that are spending the most time with students. And so I typically, you know, talk to the paraeducators, but then I'm also talking to the teachers to, to help them understand what the paraeducator is supposed to be doing so that when I'm not present and when I'm not there, that that contingency is still there, right? The expectations are the same, just so that everybody has the same understanding of what the expectation is, because the behavior plan should be mm-hmm. like this gold uh, medal, right? Yes. Like, we should be following that no matter what. 
And what I love so much about a behavior plan is that it has so much good information. It has some precursors, you know, it has what the function of the behavior is, what the FERB is, what the functionally equivalent replacement behavior is that we want to see so badly. And so I just feel like my job is just ensuring that everybody understands and that they feel empowered to follow this behavior plan. I think that's the absolute attitude that needs to be had. (laughs) Yeah, I was blowing you. What is something that you would like parents to know about your role? You know, if the parent is listening and they're just like, well, like I don't have a behavioralist like on my team, like what are some, but we do have a behavioral support plan. What's something that you wish a a parent to know about your role and how, how they can go about questing it? My role is super unique and I don't have a lot of experiences in other districts to know if they Mm. have this level of support, but it definitely is a luxury that we have the support because, you know, our BCBA is so busy. She's in meetings all of the time and she's also Mm. an administrator. So she's Mm -hmm. just spread super thin. And so she has all this knowledge, but she doesn't have the means to execute, you know, a lot of the things that she would like to. And so my role is definitely bridging that gap between the classroom and somebody that can help implement these things. And so what I would like for, I guess, a parent to know about my role is I'm essentially just that middle support person that's not always in the classroom, but does have the information about how the classroom functions. And then I also do have this behavior analysis background so that I can implement those things. So kind of switching gears a little bit to kind of what you've been seeing in the classroom. I know that we wanted to kind of talk a little bit about some common misconceptions. What are some things that you see in the classroom, like just in your day to day? So I want to paint a picture a little bit about what I look like in a classroom because I spent so much time in there. I'm spending so much time in the classrooms and I have to be the observer because Mm. I'm not always there. And so I try not to create a dependency about my role. Sometimes I will throw myself in and help because special ed classes are chaotic. I mean, we understand that when we go into one, right? And so typically I stand in the back of the room and I'm watching everything. Mm. I'm ensuring, you know, that the plans are being followed. I'm watching how staff are, you know, responding to these things. So going with that, because I spend so much time in a classroom setting, I hear lots of opinions. I hear lots of opinions from paraeducators. I hear a lot of opinions from the teachers and specifically, you know, about the target behaviors that we're witnessing, whether they have a behavior plan, you know, in with clear expectations or they don't. And so I hear a lot of, you know, different things and opinions, but I would say in my past couple of years of playing this role, a common misconception and the seemingly most controversial topic is the token board. And it's such a, I don't know how to explain it, but it's such a utilized tool, you know, in a special education classroom, but I hear so many opinions on that. And I don't know if you've experienced that as well. It's like it's generally a pretty like automatic thing that is included in an accommodation and an IEP that we see so often, but is not always individualized as much as it could be and maybe overutilized, but not individualized as much as it can. And so the effectiveness can really vary. Right. And I hear that too, or I hear like a token board doesn't work. And so that the first thing I think of is how are we individualizing a token board? And there's so many ways to individualize it. And that's the beauty. That's my favorite part. I'm really passionate about the token board, if you couldn't tell already. But 
I think that the reason it may not be working is because we're not individualizing it. So that is a really good point. Yeah, I think when we see it presented as a one size fits all approach, I think that's the problem that Amanda and I have, right, with, yes. with certain things. And when we start kind of just asking like specific questions to this specific child, and we're just kind of getting like a one size fits all approach, I think that is a problem for Amanda and I. When if we were to encounter you in an IEP or the BCBA, and they're like really speaking in specifics to this child and like these are the antecedents and this is like why we're seeing this and this is what we're feeling that we need to do like I think that would be a completely different approach and and that's something that we really try to get parents to understand their role in the IEP is to be that kind of curious you know and and they don't know what they don't know but like that's the beauty of like asking questions because what you do know is your child right more often than not we see like oh well he escalated from zero to a hundred and we don't know why and then you know the parent talks to the kiddo and it was like oh well he was absent for a week and so when he came back so and so took his spot on the bus and it was like something very like simple right like it it seemed simple but nobody on the team had any idea that that had happened and so they're just like trying to deal with the behavior without really understanding the behavior. And so for us with the token, like, yeah, it could get results for some kids, but when mm-hmm. they keep trying to like try it right. <laughs> and it's like clearly not working and they're not giving us anything else, I think that's where yeah. you know, Anna and I may have problems. But yeah, I mean, if, yeah. those, if it's individualized, you know, we're up and we're game right. to yeah. try anything. Right. We're not the experts here, right? Like the parent is right. the expert in their child right. and the behavioralist has their opinion as to what could work. And it should be, you know, we're experimenting, right? It's not just, hey, we'll see you in a year after we've implemented this. Absolutely not. Um, But it seems like you take that approach with your fidelity of the data, which is great. You bring up a good point about the story, you know, he lost his spot on the bus. And sometimes I see, you know, there's so many precipitating factors that lead to a certain behavior, right? That some things that we're not seeing, and we try to implement strategies, and we're not getting to the root cause of the behavior. So I really yeah. like to mention that because I agree a token board is not going to fix those things. It's not. My point about the token board is that it also puts some more responsibility on a staff member to, you know, mm-hmm. give those, to find those moments to reinforce a, a learner in, you know, their efforts. Just the positive behavior approach is definitely, right, a core principle of ABA. And so I like the token board in the sense that when we are, you know, finding maybe a skill that a learner has not mastered and we reinforce them and they associate, you know, doing this skill with positive reinforcement, they're likely, you know, to do that behavior again. Right. So that's where I find love and passion in the token board. And (laughs) I agree that the token board should not be something that they use forever, right? It's definitely Mm -hmm. the beauty of it is that it can be individualized. And so it can be faded out as well. Yes, as it was, you know, being implemented. Yeah. Or even like the idea that what I hear sometimes is, oh, well, the token board's working or, you know, they're motivated Mm -hmm. for this thing or that, Mm -hmm. but then we're still seeing the same level of behaviors And there's sometimes a disconnect between the positive reinforcement system that we're using and the behaviors. And when a specialist or a team doesn't see the correlation that it's not actually working if we're still seeing the same level of behaviors, because you're not necessarily connecting the two. And so I think whenever we find problems, obviously, like if it's not working, it's not working. But even when it seems to be working on its own, like 
I can get this student to do this individual thing because I'm, you know, using positive reinforcement or uh, a reinforcer. Like that's great and all, but if we're still seeing all the same problems, like maybe we're not utilizing it the way that it could be utilizing because we want to be trying to prevent behaviors from happening, not just using it as a reactive measure. Right. And that's a huge, huge piece about utilizing in a reactive measure because we've already lost it. We've missed the mark completely, right? I do see that pretty often where, oh, it's not working. And then you go in and you observe and it's because, oh, now we're giving tokens after the behavior has already, you know, been going on for about five minutes. It's definitely a proactive strategy. And one thing that I've noticed when, you know, we're quote unquote using the token board, but the behaviors are still occurring, it's that lack of consistency and using it across all of our environments, I think is a really important piece. Like we use it for centers, center time, but we're not using it to transition, um, things like that. Oh, that's a really good point. And I think that that goes to making sure that there is that consultation piece to have all the teachers, if there's multiple teachers, but even, you know, sometimes there's the AP teacher and then there's the general education teacher, even if they're not going through class, like, and then the OT and speech and language, like we all need to be on the same page. And I find that oftentimes people are just like in their bubbles and they're, they're at the IEP meeting, but they're not really like seeing how this is going to impact their area. So I think that that's also something important for parents to understand, like make sure everybody is talking, not just at the IEP basis, but on a day to day. Yes, exactly right. And oftentimes I feel like the first time they're all communicating is at an IEP. And Mm -hmm. if they've only had an IEP yearly, before we've gotten involved, like that's a big problem. (laughs) Because there's so many things that you miss in between one IEP IEP to the next. Yeah, absolutely. And then throw on just the day to day change of staff or whatnot. Like it just, yeah, it could throw everything out the window. And so oftentimes we have a great plan, whether it's a behavioral plan, whether it's IEP, and it's just not implemented appropriately. People have a lack of knowledge or lack of resources. Like that's really what it comes down to. Wholeheartedly. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it is a unique position. And and that's why we were excited to have you on. Because, you know, I I think people could learn from, okay, how do we at least like create this position, right? If my district doesn't have it, or get somebody involved with that level of knowledge, the BCBA, you know, can't. And so I'm interacting with all of the services that are kids. So, you know, when I'm focusing on a particular kid, like, they'll, they'll reach out and say, you know, this behavior has been increasing. And I'm like, okay, let me go in and see what's going on. So I will be with that kid for two or three hours on end. And I'm watching them transition. I'm watching them go to APE. I'm watching them in their inclusion time in a general education class. And so there's so many things that you see as an observer that maybe, you know, the person with them is kind of missing. And so that is, again, the beauty of this position is because you can yeah. you can see all of those things and talk to, you know, the APE teacher, their OT mm-hmm. really need to be implementing these things all the time and catching it before it's created, you know, turned into a monstrous thing that we can't right. that we can change or it's going to take three months to undo a particular behavior. And so yeah. I really am fulfilled by my role because you know, I just love it. It's awesome. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you definitely have a passion for it. And and we're happy to hear it. (laughs) Very happy to have had you on, you know, to give parents a unique perspective as to maybe a missing person on their IE and how they can, you know, request or or get somebody so that is a shared responsibility. It's not all on the parent because they're not there every day, right? Right. Um, Right. Early hearing and 
hearing from the IEP team every so often or from the teacher. Haley, we've absolutely enjoyed our time with you. If parents had any other questions, is there a way for them to contact you or would you want them to contact us and then we could pass the information along? Yeah, if they could contact you and then if you could sift through the questions, I would love to be a resource for sure. Oh, awesome. Thank you so much, Haley. We appreciate your time and listeners. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you have questions, send them our way. And we'll talk talk to you next week. Thank you so much. I loved it. Yay. Thanks, Haley. Mm -hmm.